You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach, and this is Five Things That Make Life Better. My guests this week are my first father-daughter combo. You know actor Joey Pantoliano, or Joey Pants, from his work on Risky Business and The Goonies. He was even in an episode of MASH, the original MASH on TV. He was in The Matrix. He won an Emmy for his role as Ralph in The Sopranos and many, many more. And you will meet his 29-year-old daughter, Daniela, a filmmaker. They have just begun their new podcast called No Kidding, Me Too, which is their candid discussion about depression and other mental diseases in an attempt to destigmatize them. Joey has devoted a significant portion of his adult life to doing just that through his foundation, his books, his documentary, and now this, all of it under the umbrella of No Kidding, Me Too. Well, boy, time goes fast when you're stuck indoors and not feeling very motivated, doesn't it? I'm not morose or being really serious, but all the same, I haven't really been feeling great. Just, I'm being honest, I have a lot on my mind, and it occurs to me, not for the first time, that my brain is resembling my cluttered desk. And yes, I intend to straighten them both up or out. Straighten them both. Straighten them out. Yeah. I have so much to be grateful for, so much, and yet I feel somehow stuck. That's my own doing. No one's taped adhesive to me. As Cher said in Moonstruck, the only movie about Italian-Americans that Joey Pants wasn't in, snap out of it. And so I will. But I just want to add my voice to the large chorus that is trying to find the best meaning and purpose in the gloom of the pandemic. We are not alone. But before I speak to the pantses, here are my five things that make life better. Number one, I got my second vaccine. Thank you, underlying conditions. My side effects were principally headaches or maybe one enormous headache that lasted a few days, but hey, it's better than having COVID. Number two, a feeling of competence that I have felt and that has grown since we've been shut down. I've taught myself how to bake with occasionally very good results. I have improved my cooking skills and my repertoire. I can look at my pantry and suddenly instead of thinking, ugh, look at all that, I can make a tasty meal out of what I find there. I know how to be a telemedicine patient. I'm taking care of my fella, and I'm taking care of our puppy, so I'm doing okay. Number three, the Biden-Harris administration. It's doing what it said it would do. I mean, try that on for size, right? They're making life better for us. They have propelled the vaccination program incredibly, and they are sending financial relief, I believe, this week. Number four, my ability to work with some of my exhibits. Exhibit B and I are developing some projects together. And I think how much fun that would be watching the pants as they do their thing together. And number five, my memory. It's not quite as fine-tuned as it used to be, but it's still quite serviceable, thank you. And combing through it is like an adventure. Sometimes I have daydreams. Sometimes I have night dreams. 
Sometimes it's in conversations with my brothers or old friends. It's fun to go back. And I think I've read that nostalgia has been very big during the shutdown. So I'm all for that. And my life has not been dull. Coming up, the man behind You're Kidding, Me Too, and his exhibit, Joey and Daniela Pants. Don't go away. Welcome back. I am really, really happy. I'm privileged. I get to interview the actor Joey Pantaleona. Oh, Joey Pants. I guess that's why they call you Joey Pants because people right get on the button, like, baby. yeah, we go Joey Pantale. Oh my God. What do we say? Right. And special guest, his daughter, Daniela, and you have launched a new podcast of your own called No Kidding Me Too. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for nice having to us. see you. Yeah, well, mental health is on my mind. It's been on your minds for a long time. Joey, in 2009, you started your initiative, right? With the same name as the podcast. Yes. And in 2009, which feels like 200 years ago, mm-hmm. people weren't as open about mental health challenges as they are now. Absolutely. I mean, when we started, no kidding me too, as a 501c3, our mission was simply to make it cool and trendy to talk about mental illness. All right. In 2009, you established No Kidding Me Too as a foundation, but the big piece is you went public with your struggles with mental illness, which was in 2009, really unusual and a bold move. Well, I was pissed off. In my recovery, working with a doctor, a psychiatrist, and discovering that I had a disease called clinical depression, I felt liberated. I was excited that I had a disease that I always thought it was a character defect, that this overwhelming feeling would sometimes cripple me. And I would like, well, you know, I'm just weak. And if I was strong, I could take care of it. So when the doctor told me it was a disease that could be treated cognitively, discussing unresolved traumatic past, and also the use of dopamine inhibitors, antidepressants to kind of create a bridge to get me to a place where I could actually function again. I was excited about all of this. This was great news for me. And when I actually got to the point where I was able to go back to work, I went to, which is not unusual. You, you get a job and then you go get a physical because the insurance mm-hmm. company is betting that you're not going to drop dead. Right. And a couple of days later, my lawyer called to say, well, they're not going to insure you because you're taking antidepressants. So they want to be indemnified. You sign a waiver saying that if you have a nervous breakdown while filming, it's going to be your financial responsibility. I said, well, that would cover about two and a half days and then I'd be broke. <laughs> I said, well, what if I have a heart attack? And he says, no, if you have a heart attack, you're fine. I said, well, I take statins because I have a history of heart disease and I take antidepressants because I have a history of mental disease. Why are they discriminating against my brain? Why is it that it's okay, you know, that my heart's covered, but my brain's not? And that's when I actually called John Hook, who was over at Creative Coalition. And I said, I want to do something about this. My lawyer and my agent said, what are you, nuts? (laughs) They're not going to hire you. I said, well, they know I'm nuts. And yes, I'm nuts. And that began the journey. 
was Yes, I'm Nuts a backup title? <laughs> yes, I'm Nuts. Yes, I'm Nuts. What are you, crazy? <laughs> no, no, my favorite line is, what are you, nuts? There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, that's very poignant. And it's a really great point that there's a fear of something portentous with mental illness and people are scared. And I think people are scared because they think maybe it's contagious. I know that makes no sense. Is that anything you've experienced, Daniela? Yeah, I realized over the past couple of years, I've become very secluded in like a homebody. And I was thinking today on my walk home, it's like, I don't want to talk to anybody because I don't want to have to talk about me because I don't want them to have to then deal with it or feel bad or just tell me all the things I'm so strong and I'm so great. I don't want to hear how amazing people think I am because I don't think that. So I do think that while there's still the shame of having an emotional, what we like to call a dis-ease and uneasiness, people won't shame you for it, but you still shame yourself for it. Look at what happened in the discussion that Oprah Winfrey had with Meghan Markle. She admitted that she didn't want to live anymore. Mm -hmm. That's profound. That's chilling. And the social media blew up with people either saying, bravo, you were so brave. Thank you. Thank you. Or people saying, what a phony. I have never seen such. Yeah, it is exactly the wrong thing to say. And I, I also see people saying, she's not going to see that comment. And even if she does, she won't care. But your family members will and they will care, and now they know they can't come to you. Because when someone says it, you well, just look, say, nah. Yeah. Well, Daniela, you grew up as a digital native because mm -hmm. computers were in the house by the time you were born. So my question is, do you have any perspective on social media having what I would consider a malignant effect on mental health? And then I want to ask your dad the same question, because when you grew up without it, you felt more safe, I think. Yeah. So it really started when I was in high school, I think. I mean, I didn't even get a Facebook till I was a freshman in high school, I think is when it started. I was like a big poster. I like to post pictures of myself, but I would also post really ugly pictures of myself. I would make really ugly faces and I would look at other people's posts, but I don't remember ever really comparing myself or that having too much of an effect on my mental health. I was always kind of an honest poster. Or I thought I was. I mean, people, maybe my friends would tell you different. I, I don't really remember it having too much of an effect on me, but I definitely see it having an effect on others, the comparing yourself to other people. And I guess where I would do it for me is with the body, like seeing other women in these jeans or whatever, and just then looking at myself and people would look at me and think, why do you want that body? You have a great body, right, but it's my right. body and my... You're never happy with your body. So <laughs> it was never something that impacted my mental health. And I also didn't know I had mental health issues till I went to college. I mean, I would cry in the bathroom. I would hide in the bathroom and cry or cry over my math homework because it was so hard and I didn't understand how to do it. And I have dyslexia and going through therapy now and doing this podcast now, I'm actually realizing how much of an effect my dyslexia had on my mental health in high school and still does on me now. The social media stuff was never a big part for me specifically. Oh, okay. That's interesting because I have children in their 20s who got bullied 
or were in chats where other people said unkind things. You know, I don't know that I would survive that as teenage me. What about you, Joey? Do you feel like social media and the internet have made mental health more fragile? Well, in my case, we talk about bullying. I was physically bullied. Growing up in, in Hoboken and in the projects of Hoboken where we were on welfare and it was a very diverse group of people that live in those buildings. I was fat because my first drug of choice was food. So from the 10, 11 years old, I put on 90 pounds, 100 pounds because I, wow. I was eating my feelings away. And so I was a big target and I got smacked around, punched around. And so and Dr. Nadine Burke did a study that was a TED Talk talking about early adolescent trauma that goes unresolved. So I think that the reaction of people are having on mean statements vis-a-vis the internet has already been established through unresolved traumatic events in their lives that they buried and never dealt with. Mm-hmm. It's already there. It's built in. It comes with the warranty. So for me personally, it wasn't an issue, but I also think it's because it was just starting. I do think social media and the internet has played a huge part in mental health and how and why people are struggling more so now than ever. And I think it's because you have the ability to be anonymous and just tell someone the most horrible things and there's no accountability. And I think that is such a horrible thing. And it's not just Facebook. I read some reviews that people wrote of my book on Amazon. You know, the critics love the book, but the readers had their own opinion. And my kids said, why are you reading them? And they sort of made me laugh, but they were cruel. People are cruel. And under the guise of, you know, the cone of silence, the anonymity, people go wild. The other thing is the envy factor, you know. You see people taking pictures of themselves on a private They're always on a private jet drinking a glass of champagne. You can actually (laughs) rent those. There's services where you can rent for an hour on a jet just to take pictures. No, I've heard of that. But I mean, that's pathetic. And also, it shows a profound lack of imagination, doesn't it? A private jet with a rose and a, a champagne. I mean, come on. There are other ways to show off. I think it's deeper than that, though. I think if you scratch oh, below the surface, oh, know, yeah. the, the idea that the American dream is to have it all, and it's always to have it all at somebody else's expense. I can't have it all. I've got to take it away from somebody, you know, and uh, the idea that it's become cool. It's actually, it's not vilified to be a bully. Being a bully yeah. is accepted now, and you see that with all of these politicians. Right that have become meaner and meaner and meaner. And cruder and cruder. Yeah, they get a bigger following. The algorithms are saying, keep up the good work. Donald Trump is literally president. There's no accountability for your actions. And I think along with social media, I think reality television played a big part in it too, because you literally give people who are horrible people a TV show. So you're rewarding bad behavior. But again, these people don't You may be my daughter because I've said exactly that. (laughs) Yeah, and it's scripted. It's it's unreality reality TV. Yeah, the thing that I can't believe, and I know a lot of great people who have been on this podcast love The Real Housewives, but I saw it the first year it came out, and the idea that adult women would go have lunch and drink their champagne just to have a fight with one another... Who has a fight like that? They're always no fighting. Can't you find five people who get along? 
Right. Yeah. So, well, you know, but if you did, no one's going to watch they that. They would be on Boring. television. Right. Well, you know, this is created again. Yes. These are created. The ratings tell them, they test them, and they know which characters are, you know, it's just like a TV show. That's right. And, and it's all horseshit. It's all make believe. It's and all then, make believe. Yeah. yeah. But let's talk about, Daniela, you said you wanted to start a podcast during this uh, non-year of the pandemic. And I do think we've now read that people are really depressed that prescriptions of antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicines have gone way up. People are out of sorts. They've lost their job. They've lost income. They've lost stature. They may have gotten sick. They may have lost loved ones to the disease. So everybody's feeling kind of fragile and a little broken. How is the podcast going to come to their rescue? So I think it was the perfect time to do it because for the first time, we always knew the answer to feeling better about your mental and emotional health was to talk about it. It's always the answer. Therapy has been around forever, writing in a journal to let it out. You can't keep it in. But no one ever did it. It was always so hard. Even me, who advocates for it, when I talk to a friend, I say I'm fine. And I'm not freaking fine. But I don't want to get into it. I don't want it to be their problem. I just don't want to talk about it because I don't know the answers. And I think for the first time, maybe in the history of the world, every single person on this earth just experienced 2020 and COVID. And we all now know what it's like to feel lost, to feel scared, to feel depressed, to feel alone. Some people were literally alone in their houses and they couldn't leave to feel lost. Still are. Yeah. And still are. There are some people who are still so scared. When I go into a restaurant, I still feel like, should I be here? I went out for my birthday, small group who I see in my COVID bubble, you know, socially distant. We did archery in a restaurant and the whole time of getting ready, putting makeup on, I was like, this feels so wrong. This, like I had a knot in my stomach. I was like, this doesn't feel right because for a year and still in some place, like you can't do that. You weren't supposed to do that. So I thought that now is the time because everyone can say, yes, I experienced that. They could before, but now on a whole other level. So this podcast is just a place to go to listen to it, to say, yes, no kidding, me too. I've experienced it. And to say, oh, someone else, you know, we did the celebrity thing because people look up to those people, whether they should or not. <laughs> um, but it's like, oh, Joey Pants, I love him in The Matrix. Oh my God, he he had an addiction problem and and his kids were were kind of scared of him. And, you know, when he came home and they didn't know if he was going to be mad or, you know, I, my, my dad was kind of like that too, but look at them now. they talk about it. They laugh about it. Or, or I feel those things too. It's nice to know I'm not alone. It really is. Yeah. So how is it like working with your daughter? She wasn't in the matrix, right? I actually haven't seen the matrix. <laughs> what? I haven't seen oh. Most of his movies because he dies. And um, yeah, yeah, I know it's fake. Yeah, that would be hard to watch. But like yeah. I turned off Memento the second the gun was to his face. I was like, oh, nope, nope. And he could be sitting next to me. <laughs> and it does. I can't. I can't do it. Well, the visual is very strong. Of course not. Yeah. Have you carved your own lanes on the show? I think we're still figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah, we're just still figuring it out. And it doesn't feel like work. 
you know, being able to see people and work this way that has been created because of COVID, it's coming close to two years. We haven't seen our four grandkids or my oldest daughter, but we see them this way. You know, we can, we can call them up, talk to Braden, and he's on the spectrum. He's, he's on the autism spectrum. And he said yesterday, I knew he didn't want to talk to me. I can see that the battery, that the phone is going to die. So. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> he, I have to tell you one thing that he said, because it's very fitting about, you know, what we all went through this year. He was talking to his mom and he goes, mom, I want to go to heaven. She goes, whoa, that's, I mean, a kid says heaven, you, you die to get there. That's yeah. kind of, right. okay, what's going on? Why do you want to go to heaven, Brayden? Because COVID has made my life hell. <laughs> How old is Brayden? He's nine. I think he's nine. Wow. He was eight when he said it. Yeah. Wow. That's great. But, you know, our, the yeah, kids are feeling been, it. Right. Kids are feeling it. Probably more so than anyone else because they're not supposed to have responsibilities. They're just supposed to go to school, play with their friends. They can't do that. I have a grandson who's almost two years old. He's never met another kid. That's, yeah. yeah. Our littlest nephews and grandkids, same thing. It's wild. Yeah. You know, the thing that we were given as young people were work hard, go to school, get a good education, get a great job, get married, have children, and then you'll be happy. Right. If you're lucky enough to achieve those goals and you discover that there's this big gaping hole inside your chest, it's like, wait a minute, why? Why? You didn't was, tell me about this yeah. feeling. Yeah. And why I, one of the reasons why I started No Kidding Me Too and why we continue to talk about this was to make it okay to talk about your feelings. And we called it a brain disease back when we started, but it's not a brain disease. As far as I'm concerned, I've never felt my depression in my head. It's always been in the center of my chest. And I'm no doctor, so I can say this, but I think it's more like a spiritual disease. I feel it and it's not permanent. And a lot of people think that mental illness is permanent. And I look at mental emotional diseasiness as something that comes and goes like the flu. I, you could get the flu holding a bucket at the edge of your bed. Nobody's going to come in there and say, hey, Joey, cut it out. Put the bucket down. Stop throwing up. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get to work. Right. No, because it's socially acceptable. You get the flu. You go to bed. And you, you know, drink and you vomit. Water. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you vomit, vomit you privately. do what you have to do. Yeah. Um, so the idea of openly discussing it, and here we are 12 years later, it's become cooler. When we started talking about my disease, and I made the documentary with right. six individuals, different mindsets, different brain styles, back then it was cooler to be an alcoholic than it was to be addicted to cocaine. So people would say, oh, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. It's not cocaine. When I started going to 12-step programs, my sponsor, my AA sponsor said, hey, look, call your mental illness alcoholism just so you can get in the room. Uh -huh. And people were like, oh, yeah, my son has been diagnosed as schizophrenic, but we call it bipolar disorder. You know, Americans are so into labeling stuff. You know, then when you accept your emotional disease, you identify yourself by your diagnoses 
or by the medication you're taking. Mm-hmm. Instead of just, you know, just like when I was a kid, you know, you walk into the kitchen, they go, hey, mommy's in a bad mood. So it's a mood right. disease, right? <laughs> mommy's right. in a bad mood. Right. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. You got to whisper. Mm-hmm. Right. Daddy's right. home. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And we all identify. I mean, listen, we've all gone through it. That's the funny thing. And I say this all the time. There are those of us who know we are nuts and there are those of us who haven't found out yet. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's right, particularly now. We're all feeling vulnerable. And I'm also reading that we're all losing our hair. And Joey, you're I was a first obviously then too. a leader. Yeah, we're all, all these firsts. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell me how your mental health feels as a result of your podcast and what the early reports are from your guests and listeners. Well, we only debuted yesterday, so I ah okay. I don't, it's I don't maybe... know. I don't know what the what the feedback is yet. I've had ah. some friends text me saying that they've really enjoyed listening to it, and our guests have been very open and honest with how this past year has made them feel and how in the past they felt. And it seems, you know, after we talk, everyone feels really good. And my dad and I, after almost every episode, have been like, wow, that feels so good. It's like, that's the point. (laughs) It's a therapy session for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And even if we don't talk about mental health specifically the whole time, like we're still figuring out how to interview people. So my dad talks about film with them. They tell stories of their careers. And then we get into some of the emotional stuff too. So it's been very easy and eye-opening. And I think a really good judge of it is our producer who does our sound. He's always at the end of them like, whoa, I gotta go. I gotta go. (laughs) I gotta go think about some things. And and that was really amazing. So- I do think it affects people. I'm sure it does. I just read uh, the Mike Nichols biography by Mark Harris, who was on my podcast two weeks or so ago. And I'm reading about a director with his company out in some remote place on location. And Joey, you know what this is like. If the director's having a bad day or is not a nice person, as it turns out, or is a nice person, but is stressed out beyond belief, that is going to have a significant impact on the life of that group of people. And the movie may suffer as a result of it. I know that it's such a complicated thing, the stress level of making a movie. But I've noticed that some directors, especially when they're working with big stars and they get frustrated by their actors, they'll find a lesser actor to dump on. As a as oh, an escape valve. Makes sense. And um, I remember one time I was working on a movie and this minor director started working on this this actor, you know, just humiliating him in front of a whole cast and crew. And I think part of him wanted to get him, to, uh, you know, to feel a certain way so he could say, roll him without believing or seeing if the guy had it in him to start. You know, like, I got to direct you guys before. Well, you hired them because they walked in the room and they they had something there. So this guy started crying. This actor started crying. And the director said, look at you, you big baby. Why don't you grow a pair of balls and act like a man in front of everybody? Oh, wow. And the uh, I'll never forget this. The production manager said, "Okay, we're breaking for lunch, you know, and the director turned on him and he said, we're not breaking for lunch until we get this shot. And the production manager said, look at you, pussy. We're breaking for lunch. 
And if you wow. don't like it, you grow a pair of balls and meet me outside. And 120 people started cheering. <laughs> <gasps> wow. So, so there, wow. Are, there are these instances where, you, you know, we all see it happening. We know what's happening. It's a lot like home. I once heard it described as that fight or flight. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, you're in the woods and you see a bear and you got to decide whether it's time to run or just stand still. But when it's mommy, yeah. you, know, you know, mommy's the bear and every day <laughs> she comes into the kitchen and you don't know whether you're going to get a bear or a lamb in the same breath. I actually remember a time my dad was yelling at me and I don't know why. It probably was like over. Because you deserved room. it. Probably, right? <laughs> you were asking and, for it, Daniela. And my response, my, my trauma conditioned response is flight, it is paralyzing. I just take it and I, my eyes well up. And I then remembered my dad yelling at me because I wasn't standing up for myself. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yell at me. Tell me I'm being a fucking asshole, you know, and I couldn't do it. So I think what people don't realize is that every human has passed. And when the director is talking to that actor, they could be triggering a trauma response. You know, my therapist tells me every time I'm in a conflict or confronting situation, even if it's just talking to my boyfriend about how the relationship is going, it's a good conversation my trauma response is this is bad and I just cry and I don't do anything. So I think people need to be kinder and realize that and glad that production manager stood up for him because that actor couldn't stand up for himself, which a lot of people can't. Well, kindness is what we really do need. And it does feel like since they're very kind people in the White House now, if the trickle down effect is still working, who knows? I hope so. That we will start to just listen better and have some compassion. And that makes all the difference. And I have to thank you both for bravely coming forward and helping others who are struggling. If you could help me with a hair loss too, I think my hair's gotten thinner during this plague, but- Just turn on the TV. There are 9,000 commercials. There are. And by the way, lately I've been getting a million commercials on Instagram for online mental health support. Can you just before we go to our five things or your 11 things or whatever it is, could you tell me what you think of those online therapy companies and whether they actually are worth investigating if you know anybody who uses them? I like the idea of it a lot. A couple, like a year or two ago, I was having a really bad week and looked into signing up for one because my insurance doesn't, you know, do therapy. But then I think I didn't do it. Shock. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know why. I think I was just like, it's not going to help. <laughs> but I think, no, finance has got a lot to do with this. Yes, yeah, and, I and know. So to be honest, the bank account was not able to do it. So I think that was probably it. I think finances have a lot to do with it. I think the concept of being able to have a regularly scheduled phone call 15 minutes a time or a week or a day or whatever it is. I mean, it's better than nothing, right? Yeah, yeah I agree. I'm all for it. I found that since COVID, there are tons of 12-step programs where you actually now do have anonymity. You don't have to press the video button. You you can ah, even change mm -hmm. your name and you just listen to people talk and talk about your day and what's going on. People just listen and you feel better. I think the ability to be able to take a walk and do a program, you know, for a half hour with your therapist, 
so that you're moving and you're creating dopamine and serotonin is also a fantastic idea. But again, it's, it's because people have demonized sensitivity. But what we're trying to encourage is emotional intimacy, to talk about your feelings in a way that you feel less alone and people can identify with you. It's like, yeah. so, you know, what police officers do in hostage situations is that they identify themselves by their name so that you humanize the situation. And I think that's very important today. And the idea that, you know, since we started No Kidding Me Too, it has become more and more high profile people are becoming more and more honest about what's really troubling them. And they've had great success in feeling better about their lives. That's great. That's great. Well, on that upbeat note, let's talk about your lists because you both really prepared great lists. How about Daniela? You do your list first. We'll just go through it really fast and then we'll do your dad's. So number one, Danny. This is my family. They've stuck by you through thick and thick. Through thick and and thin. thin. Thick and thick, especially this past year because I moved back home and they were really great. They didn't judge me at all for how I was dealing with everything. They were there. They were fun. Played lots of board games with mom. Even got my dad to play some. So yeah, they're just great because they're always there. Number two. My dogs. I got my own puppy. But we have four other ones at home or five other ones at home. But this unconditional thing I got going on between me and this dog is just, I could cry about it because I just look at him and my heart is so happy and he gets me outside. He gets me being responsible. So that's great. How old is he and what kind? He's eight months old and he's a Shih Tzu Lapsa Apsu mix. And his name is David and he's really cute. Okay, now he's a Adorable. And I think David is one of the best dog names. If we had gotten a boy, David was on the list. Yeah. Also, Howard. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. We love human names. He's named after David Rose of Schitt's Creek. Another thing that got me through. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) Another thing I'm grateful for. A lot of people. A lot of people. Okay, number three. Oh, my friends and my boyfriend, of course. Again, the same thing this past year. My boyfriend was there so many nights. So I was like crying in the dark and he's like, wait till morning. You have to see it in the light and just incredibly supportive. And then my friends who are going through it too. Again, it's just the no judgment, especially with the last year and even before mm-hmm. the pandemic, just like, yeah, I'm not going to judge you for literally not doing anything right now because what is there to do? Like, you're, of course, you're feeling the worst. Like I am too. Yeah. yeah. What What is next? We don't even know. Yeah. Number four nature. I've become in the past few years recently obsessed with national parks and just being outside. I think I said it's my greatest escape. I've really, especially living in a city during the pandemic, we went for walks at the state park that was by our house and just being surrounded by the trees and that fresh air just made me feel so much more at peace. Mm -hmm. And like, no matter what happens, if I still have my trees, it'll be okay. (laughs) And David. And And I love your number five. Yes, me. Uh, I said, this one seems like a lie, (laughs) but it's something I'm trying to manifest, (laughs) Um, you know, to be grateful for who I am in the current moment. 
even when I hate myself, because, you know, it sounds harsh, but I'm a human. And so I do sometimes really dislike myself. But trying to, instead of looking at all the things I'm not doing, look at all the things I am doing and where I could be one day and just being grateful for where I am and where I'm going. I would like to give you a hug if I could. If we were in the same room, I would. (laughs) I would gladly accept and hug you back. Thank you. That was a great list. Joey, can you top that? I don't think so, but <laughs> let's go with your list. Do you have your list in front of you? No. What do I, I say? What You said you came face to face with your traumatic past. Yeah, I'm really grateful because that's when the healing began. I just didn't know. When I asked for help, I just didn't know how I was hurting my family. And I didn't know how unhappy Nancy was. And it's like ice melting. You know, I started to thaw out and uh, it, it was feeling that love. You know, I have four kids and some of them didn't like me, uh, but they all loved me. I was the only one that did. Let's yeah. be let's be completely honest. <laughs> <laughs> and Danielle you didn't started- even like him that much. <laughs> Danielle actually started therapy because they they had one thing in common that they could relate to is he's an asshole. <laughs> he was never an asshole to me, really. Right. Because she's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you in the birth order? I'm my dad's first daughter, second child, and my mom's second daughter, second child. Gotcha. Very interesting. Number two, patient loved ones who knew I was nuts before I did. <laughs> Yeah, kind of covered that just now is uh, right. is uh, that when I realized it, I would say, hey, guess what? And they go, oh, we knew that years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I guess you didn't get the memo, Joey. <laughs> no, yeah, you were the one who didn't get the memo. That's, <laughs> that's so interesting. Um, number three, you said winter and spring. Yeah, that's again, nature. The idea of a hard winter and then spring comes and winter is why I want to say death, that mm-hmm. it's dying, that everything dies. Could and then spring comes and it's a rebirthing. And so I really appreciate, like today I had a couple of geese that were flying. It's like 50 degrees here and we live on a pond and the geese were flying and they wanted to land on the pond, but they couldn't. They were just going like, okay, right. where do we go? Where do we go? It's magnificent. <laughs> and And I didn't notice that for the longest time. We lived here for 20 years. And wow. Danny was talking about the state park where we were taking nature walks. Well, it was because of COVID that we actually discovered that there was a state park, 60 acres, that was literally a quarter of a block away from our house. And we didn't know it. I didn't know it. Wow. 20 years in. Yeah. Well, when you're depressed, when you're unstable, when you're drunk, you're all about you. You don't mm-hmm. see anything outside of you. Of mm-hmm. course, that makes sense. Okay, number four, you said, thank God I found the pony. Oh, yeah, there's a great story joke. Uh, There is a pessimist and an optimist, and they're in a room. They're trapped in a room. And the pessimist says, oh, my God, this is terrible. This room is filled with shit. It's horrible. (laughs) We're never going to get out. And the optimist says, yeah, but somewhere in here, there's a pony. (laughs) <laughs> and I've been living, you're surrounded and basking in my metaphorical poop. And then I found <laughs> out that there was a pony and I could ride off into the sunset on that pony. And the pony could be a unicorn. Yeah. We don't know that it isn't. Number five, your wife, Nancy. 
Yeah, Nancy, I think for 15 years, I was waiting for Nancy to turn into my mother. My mom loved me, but it was conditional love. Mm. I, I, never under, I never knew what unconditional love was. My mom loved me deeply, but there was a contract. And uh, I, I understand too well. Yeah. So wink, wink, Nancy, wink. Nancy loved me for me and didn't want to change me. And I was like, well, when the prenuptials over, she'll change. Or when, uh, you know, when that didn't happen, you know, uh, eventually she was going to change. Eventually she's going to hate me. And I went out of my way to get her to hate me. <laughs> so I would be oh, right. man. Yeah. Uh, and thank God for Nancy, because she was always there for the kids when I wasn't. And I wasn't a lot. And she's just a wonderful, wonderful human being that I'm lucky enough to accidentally, I accidentally fell in love with her and didn't know how much I needed her for 20 years. And we've been together 30. Wow. Hey, can I ask, do the other kids like you better now? I think so. One of them 100% uh, likes him better. 100% is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. One? Who is it? Which one? Melody. Melody's like, yeah, he was fucked up and now he's fine. <laughs> like, you're, you know, she's like, we figured it out. We've talked it out. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you're batting 50%, you know. Well, you know, the other kids, they like me too, but the other two are way more like me. Ah. You know, so we're isolators and we. Yeah, I understand. You can shut down when things are tough. You had a number sixth one that you survived long enough to give back. That's because I can't count. <laughs> yeah, that I survived long enough to be able to give back all of the mentorship. People that saw something in me when I didn't see it. Danny was talking about that at the very beginning of this conversation. Yes. Uh, and, and so I feel a responsibility to be able to be there for young people just starting out like these teachers were there for me or fellow actors that had something that I wanted, that I wanted to emulate, that I wanted to learn from their experience. So, yeah, that too. Well, this has been fantastic. And it's wonderful to see you two together apart it's going to be probably one of the great experiences of your lives broadcasting or podcasting together. And I wish you all the best with it. Thank you, Lisa. Thank it's so nice you. of you again to talk to us. And we're really happy. To, I really enjoyed myself. I feel better. I mean, it's, it just yeah. seems like it just, this is what happens. I feel better. This is talking. what happens. You know what? Talking talking with one another, conversation. It's one of my five things all the time because that's the only way we can know one another. It's not a text. It's not an emoji. It's something much deeper. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guests this week have been Joe and Daniela Pantoliano, hosts of their new podcast, No Kidding, Me Too which you can listen to on Apple Podcasts. Yep, Spotify, Any, and all the Spotify. All of them. Okay, Stitcher, all of them. You can follow Joey on Instagram at RealJoeyPants, Twitter at RealJoeyPants1, or Facebook at RealJoePantoliano. Daniela is on Facebook at Daniela.Pantoliano and Instagram at Daniela.Pantoliano. If you enjoyed this podcast, and who wouldn't, 
Please subscribe and rate and review us so that people can, new people can find the show. My blog is at lisabernbach.com where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins. My team is Espresso Rucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, wear a mask and act natural. Bye-bye. <laughs> I love that. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.